You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Until I am living in fellowship with God, I am not answering the call of the greatest capacity of my life, living in fellowship with God. So therefore, my life, if I chose not to walk in the Spirit, if I chose not to have fellowship with God, that's the reason why our lives continue to be empty and frustrating. And it's only until I discover that fellowship with God. I need to choose to live after the Spirit. How many choices do you think you make in a day? It starts from the moment you wake up. Will you hit snooze or get up now? What will you wear? What route will you take to work? What project to work on first? And so on and so on until you fall asleep at night. Today, Pastor Mike reminds us that among the myriad of choices you make every day, the most important choice is to choose to walk in the Spirit. When you choose to follow the Spirit, all of your other choices become much easier. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3 as he begins his message, So Much More. chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. The title is So Much More. So Much More. So 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord, that is the temple, and the wall all around the city of Jerusalem. Now, this was a common practice back then, and uh, it was through the king marrying someone's daughter from another uh, country, and in that, they were actually able to make a treaty with that country through a marriage. And the reason for that was so that they would be able to avoid any conflicts that might take place in the future for the sake of family ties. So Solomon is doing something very wise here. Unfortunately, though, uh, as we know, and as we will continue to discover, not only did he take this woman and his wife, but he had multiple wives, which actually ultimately turned his heart from the Lord. But we'll get into that in one of our future uh, studies. But once again, this was a very common practice back then within that culture. Verse 2. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places. And the reason why they sacrificed at the high places is because at that, and it was allowed, by the way, as well, 
because at that time there wasn't any central location for the worship of Jehovah, and so they were allowed to, by God, to worship in these high uh, places. And then we are told, because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days when, in fact, they did ultimately build the uh, temple. So this was allowed, but uh, the one thing, because, you know, some of these other false gods that were worshipped were also worshipped on uh, and in high uh, places. So it was allowed for Israel, but only as their worship focused upon Jehovah God. Verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places, like these other nations, in worshiping these false gods, and on the top of hills and, and mountains and, and such. The reason why, notice it's referred to here, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at high uh, places. This was good and bad. It was good because you know, Solomon had a heart to worship the Lord. It was bad because other nations worshiped these false gods also in these uh, high places. But again, as I mentioned before, this was allowed because the temple hadn't been built. It almost seems as if uh, he shouldn't have done that. It was because, remember, before, and, but this was only... This was prohibited by God. Remember, it was only the high priests who were able to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. That is prior, okay, or rather after the building of the uh, temple. And then God gave the instructions for the high priests alone to offer up uh, sacrifices. So anyway, that's the, that's the reason why it is, uh, it's been suggested there that uh, Solomon you know, shouldn't have offered these sacrifices. He wasn't a high priest. Now, the king went to Gibeon, Solomon, to sacrifice there. And by the way, at this time, the tabernacle was located there in the city of uh, Gibeon, for that was the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So probably these would have fallen into the category of peace offerings. It was sort of like a giant barbecue, if you would, pretty extravagant. Uh, wouldn't you say, you know, all of these uh, uh, offered a thousand burnt offerings on uh, the altar. But this was a time of uh, feasting and a time of great uh, joy. Remember, Solomon had just ascended to the throne as Israel's next king. And anyway, I guess after uh, Solomon had offered these uh, sacrifices, in verse 5 we read, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, for his sake. And you have given him a son, referring to himself, Solomon, to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, this was his response to that question, ask whatever you want and it's yours. You have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant, Solomon, an understanding heart to judge your people 
that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Notice he refers to the people as God's people. Not his people, but God's people. All of which, by the way, you know, the humility that he's uh, showing here, I think lent itself to him being able to be used by God. Well, anyway, notice what it says here in verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, verse 11, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. So if you walk in my ways, notice this is contingent upon what's recorded first here in verse 14, to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days as well. Okay, Solomon has now ascended to the throne in his father David's place. And notice here, according to our text, we find Solomon there in the city of Gibeon, and he's offering these sacrifices unto God there in the high places, as I've already mentioned. So God, in response, spoke to Solomon, and he said, Ask what I shall give thee. Now, I find this to be very fascinating. The equivalent of this would sort of be like genie in the magic lamp. Can you imagine? I mean, we can only fantasize what would we ask for if God responded in that way for us. Mike, what can I do for you? Just ask, and it's uh, yours. Let me lay a foundation uh, for our uh, study and share some basic truths uh, with you. First of all, God desires to have fellowship with all of us, with you and me. And his heart is full of love for you and for me. And he wants to reveal that love to us. And this is why God, in fact, has created us to become the object of his great love. And that was actually the purpose of God in creating us. But in order for God to have a loving, meaningful relationship with man, it was necessary for God to create man a self-determinant being. So to choose, to receive, and to reciprocate that love. Otherwise, I would be no more than a robot, and there would be no meaningful expressions of Love in this relationship, because this is what Christianity is. It's a relationship. Yes, I know it's referred to as a religion, but you know there are so many religions that aren't or don't fall into that category of a relationship, a relationship with God. That's what Christianity truly is. And so free will had to be involved. The power of choice had to be given to man. Now, being a self-determinant individual, man had to have something by which he could decide to make his choice. 
So, therefore, God has offered mankind choices so that that choice would be meaningful. Now, when God created us, he created us a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, body has to do with our physical uh, being, body, soul, so that's the aspect of body, our physical needs. Our soul, that would fall into the category of our conscience or our intellect, but then also spirit, body, soul, and spirit, the trichotomy of of man. And spirit is the real you, the real me. And man can choose to walk after his flesh, to bring satisfaction to himself and fulfill his body appetites, or he can walk after the spirit, the things of the spirit, and thus walk in fellowship with God. But here's the problem. Man who lives and chose only to fulfill his own desires. And in that choice that he's made, has actually alienated himself from God and fellowship with God. And thus he's missing out on all of what God has intended for man to experience and to enjoy. Remember in my opening statement, I said God wants to pour out his love upon us. So therefore, that man who has chosen to walk after the flesh is actually missing the mark. And actually, that's, what, that's the definition of what sin is. That was God's ideal, that we would walk in fellowship with him, that we would walk after the spirit and the things of the spirit. But if we choose to live after the flesh, we are choosing to live in sin. And that, the word sin actually comes from a Greek word called harmartia. And the literal translation of that Greek word is missing the mark. And that's what sin is, missing the mark. God's divine ideal is that we would fellowship with him, that we'd walk in fellowship with him, that we'd walk after the things of the Spirit of God. Thus, man's highest capacity cannot be achieved living after his fleshly appetites. A fellowship with God cannot be realized as I walk after the flesh. It is only after I choose to walk after the Spirit whereby I can have true fellowship with God and thus true meaning and purpose in life. And once again, let me say, this is the very reason why God has created us. And until I am living in fellowship with God, I am not answering the call of the greatest capacity of my life, living in fellowship with God. So therefore, my life, if I chose not to walk in the Spirit, if I chose not to have fellowship with God, That's the reason why our lives continue to be empty and frustrating, and it's only until I discover that fellowship with God. I need to choose to live after the Spirit. Now, let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. For example, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, and verse 6, there Paul tells us, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay. So, the life of the flesh, granted, seems quite logical. I mean, the way to satisfy our hunger is to what? To eat. The way to satisfy our thirst is to what? Well, to uh, drink. That's very logical. But you see, there is this fallacy in that logic somewhere along the line. Because hunger and thirst, again, we will continue to hunger and thirst again. And thus, the person who chose to live apart from God 
not walking after the things of the Spirit of God, lives their whole lives. Their lives are spent just eating and drinking. It's only through having a personal relationship with Christ where those needs and desires can be fulfilled and we can experience true satisfaction in our life's experience. Now let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus is speaking to and addressing the woman at Jacob's well. Remember the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And uh, he uses this opportunity to speak of those living waters that only he can provide. In John's Gospel, in chapter 4, in verses 13 and 14, so Jesus answered and said to this woman, the Samaritan woman, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Remember, they're standing right before Jacob's well. And Jesus asked this woman to draw water out of the well so that he may drink. And then he uses this as an opportunity to be able to address this woman and speak of those living waters that only he can provide. And he says, and he goes on to declare, for whoever drinks of the water that I shall give, not of the waters that the world has to offer, okay, but only the waters that he alone can offer, that I shall give him, will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. So that's where our thirst in our life's experience is satisfied. Now, let me give you another cross-reference from the same gospel in chapter 6, in verses 33 through 35. And at this particular time, let me set this uh, text of Scripture up for you. This was just after a short while where Jesus took the little uh, young man's lunch and fed the 5,000. Remember the loaves of uh, bread and the fish, and, and he actually fed an entire uh, crowd of people who were gathered together to receive of the Lord all of the healings, all of the miracles that were taking place. He fed 5,000 in all. So they had, he discovered a gathering of people following him wherever he went. So Jesus made this statement in Capernaum, and people got on boats and they just followed the Lord wherever he went at this time, but they were looking for miracles. They really truly didn't have a want to you know, make a decision and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. They were more following him because of the miracles that he had uh, performed. And so anyway, he seizes this opportunity, and they were talking about you know, the bread that had come from uh, heaven, the manna that God had uh, given his people, Israel, when they had uh, made the exodus out of Egypt, and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. But anyway, he uses this opportunity, and notice, and again, I want you to think about the bread that the world has to offer that people are eating of, but they're never satisfied and they're never fulfilled. So anyway, Jesus uses this as another opportunity. And he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, he's referring to himself. In verse 34, for they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And so there you have it. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So, you want those cravings satisfied? Never the thirst again, never to be hungry again? Well, what do we need to do? We need to come to Jesus. Okay, so, what have we said 
a quick overview of what I had just said, a quick review. God has created us to have a loving relationship with him. Man becomes the object of his love, and these blessings always are flowing to me. But for that love to be truly meaningful, he had to create me, create you, a self-determinant being and give me a choice to make. And what was the choice again? Well, we're either going to walk after the flesh, our bodily appetites, or we're going to walk after the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, as I've already suggested, man chose to walk after the flesh. It began right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and all have followed in his footsteps. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 53, in verse 6, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. In the book of Romans, in chapter 3, in verse 23, it tells us there that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 51, in verse 5, there we are told, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. So anyway, there's the problem. There's the issue. And that's the very reason why Jesus came into this world. And when Jesus came along, he spoke of the new birth, being born again of the Spirit of God. And Jesus said, man cannot enter into the kingdom of God until he's been born of the Spirit of God. Now, he made that statement to a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus. And in this conversation that they had, Nicodemus was obviously confused about Christ's saying. He responded and says, how can a man who is old enter into his mother's womb again? How can a man be born when he is old? And in response to that question of Nicodemus, Jesus shared one of the most beloved verses of Scripture in all of the Bible. You know it, John 3.16. Here's the answer, Nicodemus. Here's how a person can be born again of the Spirit of God. John 3.16. That's it. Here's the answer, Nicodemus. Believe on me. The provision that God has made through Christ. You see, God desired to redeem mankind, who is lost, who is dead in their trespasses and sin, because he was living after the flesh. It was God seeking to turn him around to give to man a new dimension of life. You see that? And that's the very reason why Jesus came. So, true satisfaction can never be found on the physical, fleshly side of my life. It's only found as I come into the true spiritual dimension of life. And listen, God wants all of us to come to this knowledge, to come to this kind of a, an experience. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my the book of 1 Kings opens with the death of King David and the rise of Solomon. When he was given a choice, Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom, and it pleased the Lord. From 1 Kings 3, 11 through 13, we read God's response. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself, 
long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. I also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. What are you asking God for today? God was pleased with Solomon's request and gave him all he asked and more. Are your requests pleasing to God? We're so glad you've joined us here on In My Father's House as Pastor Mike Fenizio makes his way through the book of 1 Kings. This book is filled with rich history that shows us the character of God. Pastor Mike has a lot more to share with you as he continues through this book, and we have other messages stored for you on our website. Head on over to harvestnyc.org to find teachings on a wide variety of topics. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship, located in Midtown Manhattan. We're easy to find. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. You can check out our website for times. Well, we've come to the end of our time together today. Be sure to plan on joining us again next time for more from First Kings right here on In My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.